There's no way to get around these words of Jesus. They're surprising, they're shocking. And that's why we need to deal with them up front. These principles, you have to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees, but that you could still violate the law and have a place in the kingdom seem to be in conflict with one another. Well, how could that be? Jesus obviously knows what he's talking about, and the sentences are right next to each other in the sermon. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou Gracious Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise as we continue our sojourn in the most developed of your sermons recorded for us in Scripture. We thank you for these words that have come down to us and we pray that by your Spirit you would bring us to a right understanding of what is reflected upon. May all that is of you grow deep roots in our hearts and come to full flower so that we may truly be, as St. James said, Doers of the word and not hearers only. Help us to put what we learn into practice. And what is not of you, may it perish, dry up, and be blown away as dust in the wind. This we ask through your precious name, which is forever Jesus the Christ. Amen. Diane, can they see me on the camera if I'm standing here, or is it, am I out of, am I out of shot? I need to go over here. All right. I'm learning. I'm still learning. (laughs) Well, today's, this part of our sermon marks a really interesting part of the sermon. Um, Because if it's like every Bible I looked up this week in preparation, there's a title over this, these four verses that says, Jesus fulfills the law. So we're going to reflect a lot on God's law and its ongoing relevance in the New Covenant today. Um, But we're going to start on this Independence Day weekend with an example from our own history as Americans that helps illustrate the point uh, that Jesus is getting at here. The year is 1791. The Revolutionary War is over. George Washington has been elected the first president of the United States. The Articles of Confederation, uh, excuse me, the, no, sorry, the, the Federalist Papers, excuse me, everything's been debated and settled. We have our Constitution and we're moving along as a brand new country. And as one of its first acts, the new Congress of the United States institutes a tax. A tax specifically on alcohol. Now, if you were a farmer in that period in history, and 90% of Americans were, if you had a surplus in your grain crop, once you had made made enough bread, 
and fed your animals, if you had a surplus in that grain crop, the best way for you to store that grain, the way that would ensure it wouldn't go bad, was to ferment it and turn it into alcohol. So this excise tax on all alcohol struck directly at the surplus of most of these small subsistence farmers. It wasn't a popular tax. And particularly here in our own state of Pennsylvania, in western Pennsylvania, it was a really unpopular tax. Hundreds of people organized to do things like assault the governor's mansion, the person in charge of attacking, uh, in charge of uh, receiving that tax. I can't remember, General Hollister or something like that. But they organized themselves to do this. And um, so much so that George Washington, our first president, called upon the states of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland, and Virginia to send militia to put down the rising insurrection. In 1794, George Washington led an army of 13,000 plus militiamen into western Pennsylvania to put down what became known as the Whiskey Rebellion. Now, the blessing is that it was ended without violence. These men whom General Washington had first led in battle, these these rebels, he had led them as members of the Continental Army. Now they were rebelling and they fought for the same principled reasons against the tax that was being leveled by their own government. But George Washington wanted to establish a very important principle early in the life of this brand new United States. And that principle was this. That although the British had abused the laws and the taxation that all governments need to do to run themselves, there was still a proper use for the law moving forward. The abuse of the law does not mitigate its right use. Abusus non tolit usus. That's the Latin for that that St. Augustine gave us and has come down through church history. Now Jesus is getting at the same thing. The reason, likely reason why this particular injunction appears right in this transition point in the sermon about the ongoing relevance of the law is that the original hearers of this sermon, and that's who we're going to focus on today, the original hearers of this sermon heard him regularly criticizing the scribes and the Pharisees. And they might have come to the conclusion that Jesus was taking the law and setting it aside. Christians have struggled with what Jesus is doing with the law for a very long time. Liberals and conservatives in the church have characteristic ways of misreading Jesus on this point. And we're going to, I'm doing something a little unique this morning. Um, I looked at the length of my sermon and realized that with Holy Communion there was no way it was going to fit on this Sunday. Probably not with any hymns either. Um, and so... I'm taking part of it, and it's going to be available on our website directly later this week, um, where I'm going to talk about the way liberals and conservative Christians can misread Jesus on this point. Specifically, I'm going to be dealing with issues of sexuality, and the reason why I'm doing it online is obvious. I hope now that um, parents watching the streaming service at home don't have to wonder whether their kids can continue to listen. So this way, or if there had been any kids here this morning, we would have had that same opportunity. So I'll explore that in more depth there. But this morning we're going to focus on these original hearers. 
Hearing Jesus criticize the scribes and the Pharisees who were scrupulous in their following of the law, they must have believed that Jesus was setting it aside. And nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus is, in fact, going to make full the law, fulfill the law in his very person and his coming. In fact, he's going to criticize the scribes and the Pharisees as this gospel goes on, saying things like, they sit in the seat of Moses, so do what they tell you, but don't do what they do. Their teaching isn't bad, it's the way they live out their life. And the hypocrisy incumbent upon it, because they're really good at keeping certain parts of the law. In particular, the parts that other people can see them keeping. They're good at tithing their dill and their cumin. They're good at standing on the corners wearing their broad phylacteries, that's a kind of prayer shawl, and letting other people see them praying. But when it comes to some other issues, like taking care of ailing family members and some other things related to the law, which Jesus is going to explore at length in the upcoming part of the sermon, what he calls the weightier matters of the law, this is where they fail to keep the law. Now, before we get into how Jesus fulfills the law, I want to take a look at the last two sentences of what he said in today's... We only had four verses, so we're going to look at two of them really in depth. Um, We're going to start with the easier one. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's the one that doesn't surprise us, right? We know we have to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, how are you more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees? You can start by paying attention to the weightier matters of the law, which they ignore. Okay, and Jesus is going to get into that in the upcoming section of of the sermon. So that's for the weeks ahead. You cannot be a hypocrite. But the sentence that precedes it is the surprising one, so it's the one we need to spend more time on. Whoever relaxes the least of the law's demands and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever teaches, keeps them and teaches others to keep them will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven, or great in the kingdom of heaven, not greatest, but great in the kingdom of heaven. But did you notice the first part of the sentence? Those who don't keep the law and teach others to do the same still have a place, even if it's a lower place, in the kingdom of heaven. There's no way to get around these words of Jesus. They're surprising, they're shocking, and that's why we need to deal with them up front. These principles, you have to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees, but that you could still violate the law and have a place in the kingdom seem to be in conflict with one another. Well, how can that be? Jesus obviously knows what he's talking about, and the sentences are right next to each other in the sermon. Whatever it means, and I haven't been able to dig up, doesn't, Jesus doesn't seem to be pointing to the fact that they're misunderstanding the law. He's not saying that they're lazy. He's not saying it's a misplaced sense of compassion that wants to like ease up on the law. He doesn't tell us what the motivation of these people is. He just says, those who don't keep the law and teach others to do the same have the least place in the kingdom of heaven. So there's, there's growth for a person who does that, but they're still in the kingdom. The relevant point for us in application at the moment for this reality is that we live at a moment when Christians are divided deeply over many matters. 
Not least of which is obedience to the law. Of course, in our particular culture, that involves sexual obedience. But we divided over the political application of the law and lots of other uh, aspects of our Christian lives. What it means is that I can look on someone who is deeply different than I am in their understanding of what obedience to Christ means, but still agrees that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And I can embrace them as a brother or sister in Christ, even as we try to have a conversation and correct one another's misunderstandings. I'll put a face on it. Some of you may know who Richard Grenell is. Richard Grenell was our ambassador to Germany for two years. And most recently, he's been the acting director of national intelligence um, in, the recent administ- in the current administration. He is very, very upfront about his Christian identity, and that doesn't always make him popular in Washington circles. He's from Har- he spent time at Harvard's business school, um, and that didn't make him popular there probably either. His background is in the Assemblies of God Church. He's very clear about his Christian identity. He's also clear that he's gay and that he lives with another man. This doesn't make him popular in other circles. Now, I can strongly disagree with Richard, should I ever meet him, about what obedience to Christ entails in regards to sexuality while still embracing him as a Christian brother because he holds that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, just as I do. He's not keeping an aspect of the law, and he's teaching others to do the same. In fact, he was taught that by the chaplain of um, the chaplain of the Harvard Divinity School when he was there, Peter Gomes, whose book I've read. Um, that's another conversation. We can have that in Bible study on Tuesday. But I embrace him as a brother, even as I reject his understanding of what full obedience to the law means. So how can it be It's so hard for us as fallen people to not, as we listen to Jesus' words, to not steer off to the left into libertinism or steer off to the right into moralism. How do we understand what Jesus is saying here? That there is a place for everyone in the kingdom of heaven even without full obedience. And yet, there's no place if we're like the scribes and the Pharisees. We understand it By looking at Jesus himself. He is the fulfillment of the law in front of us. Not simply the law's demands, but he is the fullness of what the law was pointing to all the time. He is what God's love looks like when it shows up on earth and has a human skin just like we do. Jesus keeps the law perfectly and he keeps it naturally. For Jesus... Keeping the law of God is like keeping the law of gravity is for your physical body. Every year, I get a little clearer. Some new ache or pain lets me know that gravity is having its effect on me. I don't have to think about it for it to happen. It just does. It's like that for Jesus. Jesus keeps the Father's law perfectly because he is the fullest expression of that law himself. He is the word of God incarnate. Jesus is coming, and this is important to remember as we go into the next section of the sermon where he's going to, a little spoiler here, he's going to take the laws, the Ten Commandments, and he's going to make them harder, just so you're clear. (laughs) 
What is going to happen is that Jesus is giving us not a new law to live by. He's giving us a new life to live with. He's going to give us his own life in place of our sinful life. He's going to exchange what it is to be him for what it is to be us. And he, by the power of the Spirit, is going to give his life to live within you so that that life, which keeps the law naturally, can be the life you learn to live out of. It's a long process. We call it sanctification. Where I let go of my way of living. And trust me, If you try to keep God's laws only in your own strength, you'll not only fail, but you'll make yourself discouraged and miserable in the process. But if you learn how to lean back into the life of Christ, given to you as His gracious gift, then keeping God's law becomes as natural as riding a bike feels if you know how to ride a bike. And that's how I want to end my sermon. I was looking for a good... Example, and there's no perfect example that communicates what we're trying to get at here, but um, my daughter is currently, uh, she's, of course, learned to ride a bike a long time ago, but now she's trying to learn how to ride uh, one-handed a little better because she gets nervous when she goes one-handed. Um, and uh, she's got long hair, so her hair keeps getting in her face, and she wants to be able to pull it out of her face when she's riding. Um, And so I was trying to coach her on how to do that. And I was thinking to myself, how hard was it to coach me how to learn to ride a bike? I remember my dad doing it. In fact, I remember the bike he got me. He went to some yard sale and he got me this green metallic monster. I mean, it was was so primitive that there was no coasting function. If the wheels went, the pedals went too. There was no way to stop that. And there was no brakes on it. He was counting on the fact, I guess, I wasn't going to get going very fast. (laughs) And I remember him coaching me about, you know, start on one leg and balance on one side and try this and do that and it's better if you're moving forward and all this stuff that never seemed to do any good. When I tried to focus on putting my weight on one side or the other, I'd just fall to that side. It made no difference at all. But I'll never forget, I can remember to this day, the first moment I realized I was riding a bike. And that's what it was. I was playing on my bike like I always did and sort of kicking my feet. And um, my, the house I lived in growing up was on a 15-degree hill and uh, just kind of a large postage stamp. And all of a sudden I realized my bike was pointed downhill and I was just moving. And my feet were no longer touching the ground. And I thought, I- I'm riding a bike. I know how to ride a bike. And the pedals were going, I'm like, I'm never getting my feet on those pedals. I guess I'm just going to crash at the bottom of the hill, and that's exactly what I did. But for a moment, I knew what it was like to feel like to ride a bike. Now, during that moment, I was doing all the things my dad had tried to coach me how to do. He'd given me all the rules for riding a bike, but I couldn't do it as long as I focused on all the rules. It was when I tried to ride a bike that all the rules operated naturally. And it's the same way for us as Christians. If we try to keep every individual law and focus on it, we're going to fail miserably. But when we try to live as Christ's people in accord with His Spirit and in unity with His Word, letting it saturate us and grow out of us, We may not keep the law perfectly. In fact, we know we won't. 
which is part of why we can embrace one another when we fail. But we can learn better and better to keep it. I crashed a lot when I was learning to ride a bike. I crashed less as time went on. And eventually, because I lived in a neighborhood full of boys, we all had to learn how to ride with no hands, because that's what the oldest kid could do. I even learned to ride my bike without any hands at all. It's the same way for us. As we live more and more with Christ, our life can be more and more conformed to His Word. Our misunderstandings of the law can be corrected. And it becomes more and more natural for us to live out of the deepest center we have, our center in Him. He is the fulfillment of God's law. He is the life we've been given to live with. And the law is still the way we live in His kingdom. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we thank You that You have taught us through these words that Your law is not the source of life, but it is forever the course of life in Your kingdom. But the source of life is Christ Himself. To Him we cling, O Lord, and to the new life He has given us through His sacrifice and through His ongoing presence to us through His Spirit. Lord, bless us to cling to that presence. Strengthen our faith that our lives may become more and more a natural outgrowth of it. Not something where we're running around trying to manage our sins or manage our righteousness like the Pharisees did, but instead learning to live with and for and from you, who are our creator and our redeemer and our sanctifier. Forever we call upon your name, which is Jesus the Christ. Amen. Sleep in thy presence, my life.